World AIDS Day, designated on the 1st of December every year since 1988, is an international day dedicated to raising awareness of the AIDS pandemic caused by the spread of HIV infection and mourning those who've died of the disease. In 2020, the world's attention has been focused by the COVID-19 pandemic on health and how pandemics affect lives and livelihoods. COVID-19 is showing once again how health is interlinked with other critical issues such as reducing inequality, human rights, gender equality, social protection and economic growth. With this in mind, this year the theme for World AIDS Day is Global Solidarity, Shared Responsibility. And in our studio today, our guest is the fearless storyteller of Necessary Truth, Sharon Gordon. Sharon is driven and independent, and during the 80s, she was a human rights lawyer, instrumental in running the first legal strike in South Africa. Before embarking on the path of entrepreneurship, she held the position of CEO for Human Resources for Billiton International. Sharon is the founder of Lola Martez, the CEO of the non-profit Dignity Dreams, and is a sought-after speaker on sex and sexuality. Sharon has published two books, has a column in the Saturday Star, and is a regular guest on radio and television. How's it, Sharon? Hello, guys. So How's nice life? to see you today. Yeah, yeah, we're surviving, you know. Second pandemic in my lifetime. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And that's sort of how I would like to lead in, Sharon. The, the president has been talking about the two pandemics now. We had a previous, previous president in Beck who denied the, the HIV pandemic entirely. Yes. And then we had, uh, we've got our current president talking about the pandemic of GBV and COVID. So I think we're going to link all of those together in some way from our discussions. But I would just like you to start with going back. I, I remember looking often Corsi Johnson when he was doing the speeches at the First World AIDS Conference and challenging the government to provide ARVs. How far have we come since the days of denialism? I think we've come really far. And I think that the South African government has done a superb job in recent years. So, you know, we've moved away from beetroot being the solution. Um, and we have a really good um, ARV program, which um, we support. And I think to a large extent, it's helped us in the current um, pandemic because we know how to deal with the pandemic and we know how to get um, health care to the masses. So I, I do think that we've come a far way um, with regards to health care. Where we haven't come um, far enough and in fact, I don't think we're even off the starting blocks, is that we still deny that it can happen to us. We still deny that it can happen to our daughters, our husbands, um, middle-class women, etc. It's somebody else's disease. It's not ours. And I think that we are still having sex without condoms. We are still having unprotected sex. We're still having sex in bathrooms when we meet a guy at a bar and with absolutely no consideration to the consequences of that. And why is that happening? And I think it's happening because we don't have these conversations and we don't tell parents, your 14-year-old, your 15-year-old, your 16-year-old, is having sex. You can deny it as much as you like, but it's happening. And so until we start changing the conversation around um, sex and protection and um, and I think also the other thing is, is that ARVs, whilst they are fantastic, they've also made us bulletproof because it's almost like, well, I'm not going to die anymore. Mm. 
In the old days, it was if you have unprotected sex, you can die from a disease. Now it's, oh, well, I get HIV and I'll take the ARVs. So I think you raise a lot of very, very critical points in the, in the discussion. And the first is really around things related to consent and the idea that um, consensual sex and negotiating condoms is something that is easy. What happened is we've all we've all heard the programs that A, I call them the ABCD program: abstain, be faithful, wear a condom, otherwise you get a dreaded disease and die, which hardly talks about sexual health. So, what are we doing wrong in terms of how we are educating our young people about consent and specifically things like condom consent? So. I don't think there's any education happening. I mean, Luke, you and I work in this space and we know the problems we have just getting into schools to talk about sex. So, you know, we, we, we're still living in the 18th century as far as I'm concerned, you know, and I think that until we start talking about um, sex and empowerment and allowing girls to have the same power around their sexuality, we're never going to win. So one of the biggest problems with the spread of the disease, particularly in um, high-risk relationships, and I'm talking about relationships, I'm not talking about um, sex workers or men having sex with men, I'm talking about in my relationship, in your relationship, Karen, and in your relationship, is if we are afraid that our partners are not being faithful to us. How do you in that situation say to your husband, um, well, for us, it would be husbands. For you, you would just have to, you could just choose to wear the condom. But we, Corin and I would have to get our partners to wear a condom. Mm. And then that says to the partner, I think you're cheating on me. I think you're unfaithful. And because I don't want to be at risk, because I'm not sure you wearing a condom with whoever you're sleeping with, I want you to wear a condom. The chances of that man taking exception and hitting me or denying it, because first of all, the denial of um, being unfaithful is very high. There's, there's a whole world of lies around that. But the, 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 the denial, first of all, and then, you know, the, the constant putting at risk. Um, so, so I think I've lost the question, but effectively that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to say is, is that for as long as gender-based violence and gender inequality exists, and for as long as girls don't understand their own sexuality, we are never going to get consent. Women are always going to be um, the receivers. And I think that for me is probably the most tragic part of what's happening at the moment. We, I mean, it's been decades since we first engaged with HIV. And the challenge that we're seeing a lot is that in terms of the sexual debut of girls, they are massively at risk. I think, and you're going to have to sort of correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the only increase in HIV prevalence rate is girls 15 to 25. And that rate going up tells us that we have deeply failed in what we are attempting to do in terms of just general safe sexual practices where there's no power dynamic and there are issues of consent at play. Because that, that age group would not have an increase in HIV prevalence rate if we were doing something that allowed them to empower themselves in sexual relationships. Absolutely. So if our girls were empowered about 
their bodies and being able to say yes and consent and and unfortunately girls still believe that they have to be loved that they've got to be accepted and to a large extent that's that is part of the the sexual game because you know I always say this when I'm teaching is how many men have said to you um, okay, maybe not to you, Luke, but to, 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 to women. They say, if you love me, you will. And then you open your legs because you want to prove that you love him. Where's the power? If we could change the power dynamic where the girl is so confident in her own um, self-esteem and she could turn the question around and say to him, but if you loved me, you would wear a condom or we wouldn't do this until I'm ready. You know, I, th I think that you and you're very right. So, so a stat South Africa say that the biggest increase in HIV is women between the age of 15 and 40. OK, no, no, no. But it gets worse than that okay. because that's one in five. OK, but 25 percent of new HIV infections is young girls between 15 and 20. And the only reason we don't um, know that it's younger is because we don't ask questions to younger. Sure. All right, because then it goes into the world of statutory rape. So we are only doing what we consider that, you know, in terms of sex, yeah. that's. 25% of infections are girls between the age of 15 and 20. Mm. And they only make up 10% of the population. So you can see where the problem's lying. Mm. And what did parents do? Not my daughter. So I think Luke and I were having this conversation earlier about not my daughter, not me. So there are two conversations at play here. The first one is in terms of sexual education around sex and empowerment. And the second one around as an older woman, it's not going to happen to me. So maybe if we could park that conversation until a little bit later, because it's so important to have. In terms of sex and talking to children about sex, why is it in this day and age where children have access to everything, there is this huge fear among parents about talking about sex. We've seen with the new life orientation curriculum, massive billboards on the side of the road saying we need maths and not masturbation. Schools telling children that masturbation is wrong. How can we begin to change this? Because only a by talking to it, can we change those horrific statistics that you've just quoted? You know, I think, I don't know how we change it. I mean, we change it by people being brave. So um, there are a couple of schools who have taken the first steps. And I'm not sure if I can mention their names. Okay, so I mean, Kingsmead leads mm. by leaps and bounds. So they allow me the freedom to talk to their girls from grade, uh, you know, I'm old school, so grade from eight. grade, well, actually not grade nine, because we leave the sevens out because they've just got to high school. And I think I'm a bit hectic for that. They, they, they leave traumatized. <laughs> so from so from grade nine, I'm allowed to speak to them and I can speak to them about anything. And the best part about that is that afterwards they can ask me anything. And how we do that is we do post-it notes, which everybody gets in a pen. They write their question down and they then put it into a hat. So nobody knows who asked what. And it gives them the freedom to ask all these questions. 
And I think the most marvelous thing about that is that we pick up on the trends. So we know that in grade nine, they're obsessed with blowjobs. By grade 11 and 12, they're looking where they can have abortions. Okay, and I'm not saying that that's just Kingsmead, so please don't take it as that's what's happening in Kingsmead. It's across the board in every school we've just spoken about. I speak to you to Kingsmead as a leading example because I think we've changed the way girls think about sex in that school. So I think that that, but there are very few brave schools. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a school where I was invited to speak to. A mom's and daughter um, tea, um, and the day before it had been booked for months and months. Um, the day before they cancelled because one of the mothers was terrified about what I was going to say. And what can I say that isn't true? You know, I I think that that's the thing that freaks me out the most. Is if we the the the, the, concept, the 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 perception out there is, is that if I talk to your child about sex, they're going to want to have sex. That's wrong. They're already having sex. If but but we don't think the same about drugs. If I talk to your child about drugs, they're not going to take drugs. They're going to stop taking drugs. Mm. And I can tell you one thing, that after my talk about sex, if your daughter's going to rush out and have sex, then she didn't listen to the talk. Because I'm very clear about the fact that you only have sex when the three parts of what it takes to have sex agree. So that your head must say yes, and that is all about, um, you know, yes, this is, this is right. Uh, I'm sure that it's fine. But if your head is saying, you know what, I think he's going to tell everybody about this tomorrow, then you don't have sex. If your heart is saying, jeez, I really love him. I really want to do this. And your head is saying, that's okay, he's a safe person. That's cool. Then have, then you've still got to wait for number three. Unfortunately, number three is ready all the time, and that's your genitals, your vagina, because it's born ready. You know, we, we can see children, we can see babies in utero masturbating. So we know that it feels nice. It's always going to feel nice. So that's the one that goes first. And you think, oh, if you haven't spoken to your daughter or your, your, your children about sex, that tingle that they feel, they think, oh, I'm in love. I'm in love. I'm going to have sex. But they're not listening to the heart and the head. It's only when all three say yes, then have sex. And as Karen, as you and I know, that doesn't happen often. No. It doesn't happen often that all three are aligned at the same time. There's always one that's nagging you and saying, eh, not such a good idea, you know. I think my favorite thing is the Sharon salute. And um, Sharon, it doesn't matter when you go to Kingsmead, the Sharon salute is the girls and they touch their, their foreheads to show their brain, they touch their hearts to show their hearts, and they touch their vagina to show their vagina, knowing that all three have to be in sync. As a mother of girls, I think that sex education is imperative and it's really something it, it's it, we empowering our children when we talk about sex and Luke I'm going to throw a question at you mm. if you don't mind because I know that that you know the system is failing mm. so unless someone who is courageous a school's courageous Sharon's courageous and comes in and has the conversation the conversations aren't being had mm. so you are running a very um, important program at Fight with Insight where you've turned it around and said to the young people what do you wish you'd heard about sex mm. um, when you were at school 
Look, I, I think there's there's two things. We've, we've done a lot of speaking about girls. And I mean, we in the 16 days of activism, you know, which World AIDS Day is part. And the, the focus on the girl child is essential. But there's a level at which we need to understand that the boy child is a massive part of it. Because the majority of what we're trying to rectify is the behavior of men. And we're doing that by asking women to step up and get their three chakras aligned, etc., etc. Mm. Whereas what we should be saying to the to the men is this is how you should behave. You know, it's not about the concept of being a real man because that comes with some. It's just about being a kind man. It's about being a present, thoughtful, mindful man who actually cares about the relational element that is part of sex. So the turning around is really about the fact that we have made sex negative, abstain, be faithful, we're going to get a disease or die. We have made it biological. This is what happens. Please, God, don't fall pregnant. You'll ruin your entire life. Or we have made it something that is something you must just completely not think about and do and talk about. You must just abstain and be monastic, which none of which are realistic. So what we're saying is what do you need to learn to have a healthy sexual relationship because sex is a part of life and it should be a wonderful part of life that we engage in with great joy and sharing and it's a wonderful wonderful thing but we have created such dichotomous messages for children that they cannot create a holistic path so we're asking them where the gaps in their learning are and what would fill those so that they can have a fulfilling sexual relationship and in terms of children we lead by example. So it's how are we taking care of our own sexual health? And in our last five minutes together, and this is a conversation that I feel is so important, I wish it could go on for hours and hours and hours. Um, Sharon, we spoke earlier, it's, it's not going to happen to me, it's not going to happen to my daughter. And there are some options available to people, men and women, who who feel that they might be at risk so can we just maybe unpack some of those all right so um and it's actually been available since 2015 it was made part of our national hiv program since 2015 and i only heard about it relatively um soon i mean a couple of okay about a year ago and i learned about it from my one son who is gay, so he falls into the men having sex with men crew. And he'll probably die, but hopefully he'll never listen to this podcast. But, you know, and and he told me about PrEP. And I said to him, well, what, what is PrEP? And PrEP is actually two ARVs, antiretroviral drugs, combined into one pill. And if you take it, um, you must take it for three weeks before it becomes effective, and you must not um, stop taking it for 28 days after you think you've been exposed. And what it does, it actually prevents you from getting the virus 99%, because what it does is it stops the virus from replicating in your T cells. So um, we rolled it out in 2015, but to um, sex workers and men having sex with men, in 2017, we rolled it out in tertiary um, education. And at the beginning of this year, we rolled it out in the normal health um, system um, in what was called youth zones. And you would then be able to go there and get information and get it, um, get prep, etc. The problem with it is obviously the next pandemic hit and everything has come to a stop. The the big thing about PrEP is, is that it has to be prescribed. Mm. So there's a level, because 
sex is so shameful. Mm. It's incredibly hard for people to go and get it. Because gender-based violence and domestic abuse is so rife, it's incredibly hard for those women to go to their doctor and admit to the fact that their partner is um, possibly unfaithful and needed. And the second thing is it's expensive. Mm. So, you know, it's 700 rand a month for the for the, the real one, and it's 200 rand a month for a generic. Now, look, to save my life, I'm gladly paid 700 rand a month, but I sit in a different economic class to mm. most people. So, but, but the Wits University found out that over 50% of people didn't know it existed. I didn't. I'm, I'm horrified to admit, <laughs> but I, I didn't know that PrEP existed. You know, so so I think that that's we need to start having those conversations about, you know, and and the nice thing about that is is that you don't have to tell your partner you're taking it. So Sharon, in concluding, you know, we are within the uh, kind of sixteen days of activism, and just to stress to people, and you know, you can assist us with this, is the importance of post-exposure prophylaxis and reporting sexual assault as soon as possible so that you can get medical attention and then the second is even if you are positive you can lead a productive normal healthy life where you can have children you can have sex you can have partners it's not it's not a although it might be a life limiting condition it's not a death sentence neither is it something that will ruin your life and then finally sorry to do the last one with you which is to finish the alphabet soup is the prevention of mother-to-child transmission, and maybe we can just finish on the success of that. Um, yeah, so I mean, if you're taking your ARVs, um, the chances of you passing it on are minimal. It's not it's not 100%, but it's, it's minimal, and it can be um, controlled. So you're right, it's not a death sentence anymore. You know, when it came out in the 80s, when I went to the first um, AIDS conference in this country, it was a death sentence. You know, now it's just something that you've got to manage. Um, but that doesn't mean you must not get it. Yeah. Rather prevent it. Rather take... PrEP, rather use a condom, you know, don't get it because it, it's, there's no cure. It's just repressing the symptoms and making sure. And the thing is, is that if you are HIV positive, let your partner take PrEP so that you're protecting them from passing it on. Because let's remember that today, in the 21st century, 1,200 girls a week are being infected. In South Africa. In South Africa. Mm. That's terrifying. And I think, you know, the, the last thing, as I, as I said, was that the prevention of mother-to-child transmission has been extremely successful. So while we have increasing rates in girls 15 to 25, a quarter of our infected population, what people must realize is if you are pregnant, you need to have the test, you need to have prevention of mother-to-child transmission uh, services because the infection rate is under 5% to your unborn child. So you need to consider your unborn child if you are positive. Absolutely. So this has been such an important conversation. I think you spoke earlier about um, a mother and daughter tea and how empowering would it be to talk about um, sex to the mom and the daughter because it can potentially affect the mother and the daughter because the mother needs to take care of herself too. 
So even more reason for schools to have these courageous conversations, for everybody to have these courageous conversations. Hallelujah. <laughs> and, and then, it, sorry, Luke. Um, and, in, and in concluding, we need to just remind people that you have 72 hours if you are sexually assaulted to get to a HIV post-exposure prophylaxis service so that you can minimize the risk of contracting HIV after sexual assault. So please report it to a medical facility as soon as possible. 25 years ago, we lost a family member um, to, well, HIV AIDS. Obviously, that's, that's not why you die, but HIV AIDS complications. And at that stage, there was a massive stigma attached to it. He was a very important part of our family. Luke knew him well. We only found that out years and years later. And it's been a great sadness for me that my children never, ever got to know him because he was such an incredible character. So take care of yourself. Take care of the ones you love. And and be informed. Sharon, thank you. It's been a great conversation. Only a pleasure. Society Superheroes would like to thank you for tuning in. And we'd like to remind you that our next podcast will be on the 3rd of December, which is the International Day of Persons with Disabilities. And we will be interviewing the dynamic Shannon O'Keefe. Please tune in then. Subscribe to all our media channels. And we look forward to you having another conversation.